Out of beard, 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 here at the corner. Your independence of me, Ernest Hancock, and now Flagstaff, Arizona, up northern Arizona, where it's seven degrees tonight and it's in the low 20s now, Fahrenheit. So I'm just like, that's cold, man. I thought it's been 70, 80 degrees out in the desert doing all this stuff. We get up here and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's cold up here. Screw that. You know, so we got to get done up here. Um, in the morning, we had to get new batteries because it gets cold and it says, <laughs> it's been a couple of years in the heat and big, and they're big ass batteries, like $200 a piece of batteries to start this bus. So, you know, two of the big giant freaking batteries, I just get new ones. But we put those in in the morning. Then we're going to Heber and around where Jackalope is in the mountain communities and skiing resort and stuff. They're pacing. Then we'll get the print, then back to the valley. And we may have to wait till I get back from Mexico before we do um, southern Arizona. And um, just started there. It's warmer. <laughs> you know, so that, that's what we've been doing. We're going to find out what uh, our good friend, Mr. James Corbett's been doing. You know, how are you, James? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. You know, this is, thanks for coming on. God, it's amazing that you'll <laughs> spend time with us. It was awfully formal for a, our regular weekly talk, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you know, that, well, the reason I wear this jacket is I'm cold, you know, I'm just like. <laughs> I do, I do feel a little intimidated by the fact that you're wearing a fancy sports you know, coat. I, well, you know, I used to wear a tie and, you know, shirt all the time and everything. And on the bus, I go, I think I'll decline because it's hot, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but when I get back in the studio, I'll get all purdy and we'll green screen it and make it. Go back to my first, my early videos. I was always in shirt and tie because that was what I wore when I was teaching in schools here. And it took me a couple of years before I realized, you know, I don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) Yeah, nobody cares. But, you know, sometimes you do when you're doing some of your long form interviews. Sometimes I do because I want to. That's the difference. When I want to, I do it. Well, I want to wear a jacket because it's freaking cold. So get over it. Exactly. The, uh, and when I wear a hat inside, James gives me crap, but that's usually when I have a bad hair day. Okay, so this is um, what's going on today. I want to make sure that we cover some of the news. And one of the things, and I see, I haven't watched it yet, you know, that you had uh, Bumper Hornberger on. You know, so, you know, Bumper and I are good friends. I, you know, I enjoy him. I just did a show yesterday with Michael Heiss which is head of the um, Mises Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. This was when the party went after, you know, said bad things about Ron Paul and we got to go woke and we won't go broke or something. I mean, whatever the hell they were doing. So they pissed off all the wrong people. Bumper Hornberger, Lou Rockwell, Jeff Dice, which was uh, chief of staff for Ron Paul, Ron Paul, Tom Woods, Stephen Kinsella, Bob Murphy, me, you know, Scott Horton. They're, then all these guys got together and they're like, oh, we're going to take over the Libertarian Party. Well, they've been doing it. And uh, they're like, all right, here it comes. So I'm I'm thinking, yeah, politics. You know, it's like Godfather 3, man. Did they pull you back in? You know, I just, you know. <laughs> got, I go, you guys better give me what for. So let's talk about that real quick. Um, politics in 22 and 24 when you get some Ron Paul Levolutionaries, the younger crowd, they're now in their 30s, you know, that, and I remember when we were that age, and they're just, oh, they're going to get some, go in and take over the Libertarian Party, which they've done a really good job taking over a lot of the states. They have probably got over 40, 50, 60% of the delegates already, and they hadn't even got started yet. 
So it looks like there's going to be a big change. My concern has been whenever you create an organization, you know, sooner or later it's going to become more important than the reason you created it. So the Mises Caucus will get full of themselves and they'll do whatever, you know. But the um, but for now, man, it needs to be done and now's the time. So I don't, what are your thoughts on that? Hopium! Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> politics. Who cares? Um, I hope you do listen to the bumper Hornberger conversation. I was asking him before we started recording, do you prefer Jacob or Jake? He's like, oh, whatever. And I said, how about bumper? And he's like, oh, you know, that's a blast from the past. <laughs> like, I talked to Ernie. I know the secrets. Well, um, I, did, you know, I, I just, still don't know why he's called bumper. <laughs> I, he told me why. I don't care. I just wind up calling him bumper all the time because... That's just what I knew him by. So I, you know, but when he's run for president and stuff, you know, do Jacob and I catch myself. Well, when you listen to our conversation, well, it's based on an article he wrote recently called crisis filled lives. And uh, it's just a little short little piece about how all these crises, there's so many crises that we're living through right now, opioid crisis and health crisis and welfare crisis, inflation crisis. And he says the common denominator root of all of this is, government it's the big bloated federal government that's causing all these problems okay fair enough yeah and i so i had him on because uh this is right in line with something that i'm thinking about and we'll probably be doing a podcast episode on in the next week or two which is uh i i don't think i i I know that of course crisis and leviathan robert robert higgs right like this is a well-known thing of course government always relies on and uses crises in order to expand its power but i think that that process has been ratcheted up to 11 in the 21st century. From 9-11 on, it has been nonstop government by crisis. And I think that's an important change that is happening right now. It's, it's a change in the governance paradigm that I think is working its way into people's psycho- psychology. Our psyche is now in this state of constant crisis and trauma. And what is the only solution that's ever provided to us is, don't worry, the government. What can the government do about this problem? And that is now actually the form of government that we've been steeped in. So I wanted to talk to Jacob about that, get more of his thoughts on that in preparation for my own podcast. And when you listen to it, I think you'll see I'm several steps further towards anarchy than I think (laughs) Mr. Hornberger is, or at least that he's willing to state (laughs) in the conversation. You know, Jacob, um, he was one of the... uh, speakers at uh, i think he might have been the keynote speaker at our first freedom summit and then we had another freedom summit about four or five years later where he defended open borders you know he's an open border guy and he speaks spanish laredo texas he's from he's an attorney you know he kind of he practiced you know the hispanic community and so on and of course he sees it you know as um you know you don't need a national list of you know, papers, please, and that got, that's where he was coming from, you know, where this goes, you know. And um, in the first summit, he was very constitutional. They're always about constitution, constitution, got to have the constitution, because a lot of times that's where a lot of his support comes from. His support comes from, you know, people who got, you know, Future of Freedom Foundation, constitution, and that kind of stuff. And what I get from, you know, that age bracket, him, he's a little bit older, you know, than, you know, I am. And I was one of the younger guys. But, of course, he's like Dick Clark. He looks young when he's 80. I mean, that kind of thing. But um, his main thing is there's got to be a government. There's going to be a government. What kind of government are we going to have? But it's always on the basis that there will be one. And I'm going, 
I understand the point. I understand what a lot of people say, and there probably will be some kind of government. You know, it's called families, you know, or neighborhoods or something like that. But to say that there's going to be a government and that there's some, you know, uh, white man speak with forked tongue from Washington, D.C., I'm just not into it, you know. I So yeah. that's where we kind of deviate. But I, I, I know his heart, and I like him, and that's why I supported him for president, which is why they, them, those came after him, which is what started this Mises caucus thing. I think you're right, on. though. I think it's a generational thing. I think there's an aspect to that because I know people like G. Edward Griffin, who's now, what, 93 or whatever he is, and still just not just ticking, but booming. He's fine. Um, but um, I, I've noticed people in that age bracket, as you say, I think they're mostly there. It's just that. Throughout their lifetime, that was completely unsayable. Like, you could not say anarchism, because clearly that's crazy bomb-throwing stuff. Right. Uh, I think there's been a change in, in perception and mindset so that people who are a bit younger can 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 say that without being afraid of it. But uh, even G. Edward Griffin, I think, has come around to the idea more towards anarchy. Um, G. Edward is way more anarchist than people realize. You know, if you spend any amount of time with him or talk to him... He's, you know, he's, he's, he's anarchist, you know, and for principled reasons too. I mean, he understands, you know, this is not, you know, the country. What he talks, uh, when you get him in a corner, he'll say the United States government or any government is a protectorate, a protectorate of your rights. He calls them protectorates, you know, so he goes back to that is, you know, Freedom Force International and stuff. That's all about protectorate. And um, so I'm thinking uh, this is really becoming more and more common. And people like you that have been, you know, eh, not jumping in because you're Canadian in Japan. What the hell you care, you know? And uh, so I think a lot of us talking about this has made it easier to talk about them not being any government or at least starting from that as a baseline. You know, and that's starting to come. Now, this Mises caucus or the Libertarian Party Mises caucus, this Mises thing, um, I wanted them on because we had talked before about this and at different events people were talking about, come on, Ernie, come on back. The water is going to be fine. You know, it's kind of, and I'm like, you know, I want to give you the best chance ever of attaining and trying and doing it and see how long it lasts. But I have no delusion to think there's going to be any kind of a political solution. And if you're successful, here come the unlimited resources of they, them, those, which has happened before, even in the LP. So I'm just so it's the it's not the destination as much as it is the journey for the people. You know, it's the fact that we do it. Not yeah, we're here. We win. You never win. It's never over. You know, it's the it's. The eternal vigilance, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, that's one thing. I am definitely not utopian. I do not think there's going to be some end point. Oh, okay, good has won. Okay, time to go back to sleep, guys. No, of course not. But I do appreciate that there are people out there that are spreading the message of freedom in every way possible, including, why not? Use the political pulpit to spread that message. But yeah, if they're actually thinking they're going to really affect political change at the political level through the political process while pre- preaching anti-politics I got a video <laughs> for you yeah man <laughs> you know um well bumper did uh 
Future Freedom Foundation, and that was the first real exposure I got to uh, libertarian philosophy was his um, uh, monthly Freedom Digest. They were mailed. It was a little paper book, like a little magazine that had a bunch of stuff. They still, I don't know if they still do that or not, but they do their newsletters and so on. And uh, James Bovard that wrote Lost Rights, you know, and so on. He's a good friend. I think we're going to try and get him on here pretty soon. But he comes on a regular basis and writes, you know, is paid to write for like USA Today and, you know, this kind of thing. So the the messages got out there. I remember Vince Soprenowitz, uh, Las Vegas Review Journal editor, and he had a column called The Libertarian. And I remember when I first started doing radio, we'd always pimp his articles and everything. And there was a thing going on around the to- at the time that um, uh, who was the guy that um, – was part of the plumbers and the Nixon thing that went. Oh, G. Gordon Liddy? Yeah, Liddy. G. Gordon Liddy. Now, he, you know, been on my show. You know, they had him in studio when I was, you know, on Terran Radio in Phoenix. You know, his son became, you know, Politico in Arizona politics. Mm. Had him on, you know, all this stuff. Well, uh, G. Gordon wrote something about, well, because of BATF and the bad guys, you know, the government wears body armor. You need to practice shooting at cantaloupes because sometimes you just got to shoot them in the cantaloupe, you know, that kind of thing, right? So Ben Soprenowitz mentioned that in one of his articles, you know, just aim for the cantaloupe, you know, in there somewhere. Boom! Canceled. I mean, he was, you want to see some canceling, deplatforming, all his mm. nationwide art, man, they went after him. And I'm going, who did that? You know, who is it that has the power to do that kind of thing? Who, who decides? And this was Freedom Communications newspaper, which was owned by libertarians. You know, they had the Orange County Register and you know, like the Yuma Summer we were just at, you know, here and so on. And um, so I've gotten a taste of canceling, even in the 2000s. And it started with broadband internet. With the growth of broadband internet, they really went after even the small newspapers because a lot of times those links were just starting to get online and they were feeding into the people and right. into perspective. Like Freem's Phoenix in 05 when we started it, it was um, good, bad, whatever. It's just, yeah, I just want you to see what I see. You know, and that's what I do my show on. Well, that ain't like that, you know? Yeah. You know, this is what you do. You're like, let me show you what I see. And like, nah, I don't want you to see that. You know, yeah. nope, nope, nope. And then, so you got to comment on... Well, finish on uh, Hornberger. I want to talk about the Canadian thing, but um, uh, what did what did he share with you? What did you get out of it? Uh, well, you can you can listen to the conversation. I'll have more to say about it when I release my podcast, and I'll put it into perspective for you. But I'll I'll share a little story that comes to mind actually that I know you'll appreciate. I was just thinking the other day. I, I, it's this memory that I just dredged up that I've completely forgotten about. But I remember in I think I was in junior high, so I must have been like 13, 14 years old or something. And we got in the mail, in the mail, I guess, uh, like a like a, a newspaper kind of thing. Um, obviously, like a, a small circulation special. I don't know if it was a newspaper or an insert supplement into a newspaper or something, but it was just a few pages uh, from the Social Credit Party of Canada. And I remember reading that. I thought I was they it was interesting because it, it was clearly not this wasn't some like big organization thing. This was clearly some hand printed like small thing. And I remember reading through it and it was talking about the theory of social credit 
and basically questioning about money and where it comes from and how it's issued and how it could be issued. And at my young age, I was like, you know, this this is interesting. I've never really heard about this before. And I, I just tucked that away into my memory. But that, I'm sure, was one of the seeds that was there that was waiting to be watered by something like the Money Masters or something later on where I started to go, oh, right. Oh, the money system. Oh, I get it now. Okay. So you, you never know how these little newspapers that get circulated are going to affect someone, sometimes years down the road. It has been, well, Donna and I, uh, all the small towns that we go to, we take, you know, the big piles, bundles we have billions of, and uh, we're usually about 300 to 500 a town. And you find like a middle, upper middle class neighborhood you want to saturate, and then you put them in front of the restaurants and some of the service stations kind of thing, little stacks, and you kind of, and you seed it. You know, we've done this many times before. It's not so much how many you get in one place. It's that you get a substantial amount in a neighborhood all over the place because mm. it's a God thing, man. They find yeah. it themselves to the right people. Even the yeah. ones that are, oh, well, you'll like this. I don't like this. Hey, did you see this? You know, and all of a sudden already, already you know, the contact and communications are starting. Yeah. And um, so it's a widespread thing. One of the reasons is, is for legislators because the legislators mm. got their first copies right off the bat. We got them in their, in the mail rooms. And then when they, come back or they hear from their consider did you see or hear about and it's that one little article that one little thing and what it was private membership associations mm. which was my number one article we put on the front yep. page and the reason was is that i could see what was going to happen it was going to be how we're going to keep our bars open it's how we're going to do our health care it's how we're going to live it's how we're going to be the amish and not get drafted you know kind of stuff so um i'm I have a lot of confidence in it, and people have just been excited, you know, to be able to have it, to take some place and spread out to their friends and they want to. So we probably have um, given out a lot more stacks than I anticipated to individuals mm -hmm. and groups because I, I got to have enough to make it, man, <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> to get back. Yeah, but we got to get from the north because it's freaking cold. You know, um, uh, talking about cold, Canada. You know, this thing, this trucker deal, you being from Canada, we had uh, Ian, one of the coders that works with um, uh, Derek, lives in Canada, and he went to Ottawa. And we did a live show with John Snyzen. You know, he's from Manitoba, and we were talking economics. And uh, But I wanted to have, you know, whatever he had to say. And Ian, that was down there. And he's like, his hotel room, I got to get down there, man. They're like having fun, and I'm not there. I got to go, you know. So he had... Been down there. He goes down. He said his wife is pregnant with her second baby. Just had their uh, first. Got a new home. All this stuff started. So he just didn't know what to do. He was just, mm. he couldn't travel. He couldn't do anything. So he's down. Man, I am down there. So he goes, it's just tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. It's just a lot, you know, and they're mm. everywhere. Well, now they're mm. in Alberta over on the Montana border. You know, yep. doing their thing. And they're going, yep. if you don't leave, we're going to arrest you and confiscate and, you know, your vehicle. And we're all in there going, all right, who's going to do it? Who's not going to do it? And a bunch of them said, we're staying. Now what? So I don't know how this is going to go. What are you hearing? Uh, I think I probably saw that exact video you're talking about. And yeah, it's some pretty interesting stuff that's playing out. And I want always, I always want to separate the hope from the hopium. 
Um, so, you know, I, of course, want to stress, you know, what, what's happening How right now? This is not the difference. <laughs> well, th- here's the thing. Hopium. This is the end, man. It's all over. We won. This is it. This is the change. Everybody's on board. Blah, blah, blah. Of course not. Okay. That's silly. Um, but uh, then again, there is genuine hope here. And the hope that I see um, most clearly uh, out of all of this is the feedback I've gotten from the people who have actually been there. Uh, There's someone in the corporate report comment section saying, you know, I'm in a town of 4,000 people. 1,000 people turned out to see the convoy as it went by. You know, I mean, there's there's a huge change that's happening. Going from thinking I am the only one who thinks anything about this and I can't speak and you know I shouldn't say anything to suddenly seeing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people across the country rising up. That is the real win, whatever happens in Ottawa. And what is going to happen in Ottawa? Um, a lot of these mandates are at the provincial level. They're not federal things. So you don't define this is about- Ottawa. I, I don't know what the hell Ottawa is. I know Ottawa is kind of, is it a state? Is that where Montreal is? It's north of New York. And then and maybe that's all I know. What, what does Ottawa mean? Ottawa is the capital of Canada. So it is Washington, D.C. It is not its own state or province. It. it is okay. part of Ontario, but it is the capital. That's where the Houses of Parliament are. Okay. So um, and that's where the PM's so uh, Ontario residence is. is the state or province or whatever. Yeah. And Ottawa is the capital and it's the nation capital of Canada. Yeah, it's okay. the national capital of Canada. Yes. All right. All right. So yeah, that's where they're going that. to. To, to make a federal thing out of this. But the federal government is not doing most of these mandates or, or restrictions. It's being done at the provincial level. On that note, I don't know if you saw the latest, but apparently the Quebec premier has just come out to say, we, you know, that tax on the unvaxxed that we were going to do, mm. we're not going to do that. Sorry, you know, this is causing too much division. You guys are clearly upset about yeah. this. We're not going to do it. So um, as I, I just recorded New World next week, so you can see my comments on this. But essentially, yeah, this isn't the Grinch who stole Christmas suddenly having a change of heart. Um, but it is a step in the right direction. It is something that will improve the lives of people in Quebec. We have to continue pressing. Uh, my only fear, my biggest fear is, is that, that they'll stop people, pressing. Well, exactly. Or, or that people will just do what they always do and they'll say, oh, this is how it's done. And then we'll have a trucker convoy in the US and we'll have a trucker convoy in Australia and we'll have a trucker convoy. And it's a trucker thing. And the truckers can do this and it'll be a truck. It's not about the truckers. This is not you know about what I did? the truckers. I, I did ask a, a trucker there going, yeah, trucker, trucker, yeehaw, truckers. And I said, yeah, what happens when they're robot trucks? Yeah, exactly. That's the that? longer step in this game, isn't it? Because at some point, they're not going to be driving trucks they at all. They want right? the robots to, you know, do what the hell they tell them. They've already got the self-driving trucks. Now they just have to have an excuse for getting rid of the workforce. You know, do not make this about the truckers. It's not about them. Let's you know, support this, them in Canada. But. I want to share, you know, how close this is. We put up a video. I think it's on the front page today where, you know, you're sitting in traffic and then you have like a big line of cars in front of you and you squeeze out between two cars to turn left. You ever do that? You know, you kind of, yep. they'll stop for you and everything. Yep. He was doing fully self-driving, F- FSD, I guess they call it now, on his Tesla, sitting there. And he started recording, going, no way, no way. And it starts pulling out, itching, goes between cars and turns left. And I go, okay, that was impressive, all right? that If, mm. if you got automatic driving, is going to be that assertive to do something mm. like that. And kind of like, and, 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 and the biggest comments that he got is everybody was, you know, so you know, proud of him 
not taking over. <laughs> yeah. They go, man, I would have grabbed that wheel. I mean, there's no way <laughs> pulled me out in traffic like that. Yeah. So, so we're close. You know, there could be people saying, oh, no, that'll never happen. But they, what they don't realize is that Tesla has created what they call the Dojo chip. And I've been studying that. The Dojo chip is their own chip that they have sped up every aspect, every bottleneck. You know, the little processor and the transistors on it, the little this, the little that, the little. So it's its own stack of hardware that has this. And then they put a bunch of them together. And by using traditional um, uh, electrons and photons, whatever the hell they're doing, they are up to quantum level speed now and it not being a quantum computer. So they're going, yo, mom. Color me skeptical. I got to read more about that. Have Dojo you got some chip. articles about it? Yeah, they're all over. They did a cool. They did a presentation. <laughs> Remember when he had the robot come out and the guy danced in the robot suit? That program was the Dojo presentation that the lead developer on that okay. went through the entire stack. And right, I was okay. blown away then. Yeah. So I went and, you know, every now and then I would go through and watch another whatever but you watch that one, you'll go, mm. damn, at every yeah. level in the motherboard, you know, or the chipset is that they increase the speed here. They have mm. no speed on there. The latency on that is gone. We improved this thing at every level, which is what he does, you know. So now, so well, that's I, why they did I, the robot. I got to tell you, I <laughs> I know you're a Musk fanboy, but <laughs> I, I have no doubt that he's going to bring about the ro robot uh, transhuman apocalypse. It's just, I'm sure it'll look cool <laughs> as it comes. Um, but uh, me and my wife were recently test driving some cars because our car is now 10 plus years. We need a new one. Um, so it's been a decade since I've even driven a new car, right? And so I'm test driving like Toyotas and stuff and my God, it's they have all the, you know, lane control and don't worry, you don't have to touch the brakes and oh, it'll adjust the speed. Cruise and I'm like, no, I want to control, control my car. I drive lanes. the car. Oh, and all the new cars now have kill switches. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. 2026, right? <laughs> I'm, That's you know, I'm, yeah. oh, I, I, you know, it's always nice to have a, you know, a 67 uh, Mustang, you know. That's, yeah, that's always good. well. Hey, not to toot my own horn again, but I do remember when I put out my um, um, "Welcome to Your Driverless Future" podcast a couple of years ago, and a lot of people I, I got some feedback. Oh, you're being silly. This isn't coming. Oh, they're not. Oh, they are. <laughs> Sell me that in ten years. Tell me that you don't think. Yeah, it's Yeah, no. When they did this, Tesla started inching its way through traffic, stopped in front of you to get to turn left. I'm going. I would have never thought that that would be on the list i was like hell no i i'm not feeling good about that one you know i'd rather it sit there while i read my newspaper you know or something yep. but um mm -hmm. okay you know here we go the um yeah the dojo chip it's d-o-j-o -O, dojo you do some research on that it'll scare crap out of you i will do yeah. you know and that's why because their car the model s i mean they're it's a robot on wheels so they just go, we'll just give it arms and legs and, you know, limited speed so it can't hunt us down and beat the crap out of us or something, you know. But um, so there's that. All right. One of the other thing I did want to make sure I got to Let's do it now so we don't lose time. This mass formation craziness, psychosis, whatever they want to call it, um, 
that's just, you know, for me, I'm going, yeah, that's just mass propaganda. I mean, you know, I'm, I don't know what the, yeah, I give it a special name. I mean, okay, I guess, you know, but what the hell you think we've been warning yeah. everybody of? Yeah. So now they give it a special name and it's like, oh, well, hell, it's like, if you'd have called it that, then we would have known or something. I'm like, God. So how would you define that? You know, this is a Malone big thing, you know, that you've, um, uh, I'm sure you've seen. So I'm just going, all right. What do you think they mean and what's the solution to it? Well, thank you for pointing that out because yes, I think it is important to know and to recognize this phenomenon that happens quite often. It's that somebody comes out with a new name for a, something that we already knew about, but because that's a new name and it sounds new and it's a new concept and people think this is news, therefore they spread it like, Hey, here's this new thing that I learned about. Well, <laughs> People have been studying this academically even for over a century. I mean, read about the madness of crowds, read about the society of the spectacle, read about crazy all of these things. Insane one exactly. Of time, kinda, yeah. uh, fire in the minds of men. I mean, there are many, many, many people who have written about this in many different forms over many different years and Hannah Arendt and all of them. So this is not new. Um, but uh, the, I think specifically what Malone is getting it from, and I didn't, never watched that whole Rogan thing. I guess I probably should because everyone at no, least knows of it. this is another video he did. It was um, oh, okay. uh, through... Uh, uh, he's it getting Stack, it from... Stack or whatever the hell they call this he, thing. He's getting it from a Belgian professor called right. Matthias Desmet, I think, right. um, who I have heard on a few podcasts. And I, I did put out an injury request for him about four or five or six months ago um, when I first heard him speaking about this. Uh, he never got back to me. So, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I thought it was, uh, it's an, it, clearly this person uh, has done some of that academic work on this and knows about the academic history and pedigree of this idea, which is what I'd be most interested in talking to someone like that about. Um, because again, this is not a new idea, but yes, the, uh, clearly this is a phenomenon and yeah, the technical term is um, mass formation. And Malone has apparently added the word psychosis. So all the fact checkers go on and say, there's no such thing as mass formation psychosis. Now, there is this thing called mass formation that has been talked about. And <laughs> so that's their fact check. It's false information because he added the word psychosis. Um, but clearly, there is a phenomenon where it, at certain points, at certain uh, inflection points, ideas that are spreading start to take hold of masses of people in ways that make them into essentially the mob mentality. And that is a specific way that people function in large groups that, again, has been academically even scientifically studied for a very long time. It's clearly happening today. And the I think, honestly, even the, the, the way that this idea of mass formation psychosis has spread in both the ma mainstream and independent media is itself a reflection of this process and how it uh, certain ideas will grab on to people and then they that will become this sort of totem that people are responding to in mass ways without even thinking about the implications of it so that you demonstrate the fact that there is clearly some sort of mass formation happening when everyone comes out and says, we have to ban this person from the platform for daring to speak about mass formation. Uh, you know, it's the NPC meme being See, literalized. De define the word mass, of course, group, everybody, formation. What the hell does that mean? They're, they're forming their thoughts or something? What okay, you? I haven't done the academic study on this, which is why I'd like to talk to someone like a Professor Desmond or someone who has. But my my understanding of it is it's the idea of the, the sort of the group formation. It's the difference between the bird flying and then the flock of birds flying. And they fly in certain patterns and ways that they stay with the group. It's that idea of the, the, the mob forming. 
And then the mob acts in demonstrably different ways than any individual member of that mob would act in any given situation. There's a different mentality that takes hold. You know, that was in um, a line in the first Men in Black with Will Smith and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. And I don't know if you remember the line. And he goes, why, why don't you just tell people, you know, just tell them that they're aliens. You'll just tell them. And he goes, look, you're a cop. You know, you know, they... You know, because they can handle it. No, individuals can, groups can't. Yeah. You know, the group yeah. will be because they're, and what they're really saying is it's groups of some of those people. I mean, you know, so it's, so when you well, look at it at the, the simplest level, the easiest way to understand it is the toilet paper run. Remember the toilet paper run in March 2020 or whatever? Remember everyone suddenly, everyone has to get toilet, toilet paper. Everyone, everyone's my buying attic it was gone. full. Yeah. And why does that happen? I mean, to a certain extent, there are certain individuals making choices, but then there are then you start to see there's this phenomenon happening. So you have to make a choice based on the group phenomenon that's happening. And pretty soon people are making that choice without even knowing why they're making that choice. Because they like toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm looking at the solution to this. If you have a um, this mass formation you know, what's the solution? Well, mm-hmm. usually it's a, you know, it's a, it's always a barefoot guy in a robe. I mean, you know, it's Jesus, Gandhi, Buddha, something. I mean, you know, there's always mm-hmm. some barefoot yeah. guy in a robe that comes out and follow me and, you know, and they, and they one at a time, they start to, because they're so downtrodden, they're so unhappy, they're so fearful all the time. It's just, it erodes on their spirit. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're free and they just all of a sudden, you know, Trump comes and it's like, you know, well, it wasn't so much Trump as just everybody put their Christmas tree lights back up, you know, yeah. and they go. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, Fourth of July and they're you can't do Fourth of July. And then you got fireworks going freaking everywhere. If you were a plane, man, you definitely didn't want to go under a few thousand feet because, man, you would have been like you're going over Dresden or something. So this has been obvious for people like you and I that have been doing this kind of thing for a long time, you see this, you know, it's coming. And I think it's a technique that they know that they have to have it. You know, like we would say something like full spectrum, you know, dominant domination or, you know, every vector covered and they just hit you from everywhere. And anybody that opposes it and they're deplatformed, they're banned, they're crazy. Don't listen to them. So I, I guess it's so weak, their position, that it can't take yeah. any criticism. Yeah. It can't take yeah. any facts. So they have yeah. to shut that down. That's exactly. part of it. And so this is not fact-based. So uh, it's weird, actually. This is coming up over and over in every conversation I'm having this week. But I uh, have been refocusing on the psychological manipulations that are that are demonstrably, in their own words, going on right now between groups that are known to exist. The, uh, the Spy B group, part of the SAGE advisory group to the UK government, which since March 2020 has been advising the UK government on how to instill fear in the population to make them compliant with health regulations. I mean, they write about that openly. It's not even a secret. The World Health Organization Technical Advisory Group on 
behavioral management or whatever their specific phrase is, um, headed by Cass Sunstein, of course, who else? Um, and a whole host of World Economic Forum and Bill and Melinda Gates for, uh, Foundation and other such members um, who are out there openly talking about behavioral psycho- psychological techniques. I'm looking for who it was that you just interviewed. I just watched it yesterday. You know, uh, Ian the- Davis. Uh, it was on Solutions Watch. Oh, okay. So this was... Uh, um, you know, acceptance it, of and commitment to freedom. Well, it was um, it was more of a psychological thing too. What was it that yep. he was discussing? Is so he was talking about acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a type of behavioral change right. um, okay. t- technique right. that is employed a- a therapeutically to get people to actually change their their situation, their way of thinking, By and how they their behavior exactly change their behavior. And of course, these techniques are being employed by the they them those. To get the public more, more compliant. So I think the question then, so, okay, so how do you start deprogramming people? How do you get them out of this mass formation cycles? I think my intellectual side would like to look at a problem like that and go, well, I mean, obviously we have to, A, dispel the fear that clearly is the the thing that they are using to put people into a state of panic from which they are more manipulatable. So if we can dispel fear, we can get people to to think about these things more um, more effectively. Uh, and secondly, we have to remove them from the mass uh, that they're part of the mass formation. The more we can make it about people's individual experiences and get them to act and think as individuals and separate them from the mass, the more that they'll be able to be reasonable. But that's my intellectual side. And there's a, I think there's something to that, but that isn't the whole answer. The real answer, I think, at a more fundamental base, people are not going to be reasoned out of something that they were not reasoned into. It, this right. is clearly on a much more, as you say, uh, it's the man in robe, the man in robe with the sandals. It's all about the feels, man. It's all about it, the feels. Exactly. And it really is. To a large extent, more so than someone someone who's very intellectual like myself would like to admit. No, this is going to be some sort of, you know, guru who comes along with some sort of spiritual blah, whatever. No, and it's it what may you've be been total saying. woo-woo. Nope. But as long as it sounds good and as long as it's a narrative that people can go narrative. along, they'll they'll go along with it. No, and I think that's gonna be the real answer here. For a long time. It's a, you gotta have a better narrative. It's gotta be yeah. a narrative. What's yeah. your story? You know, give us the background story of the story of what's your story, which is what we've been building up a lot of, you know, that's a whole other thing. But the, the narrative of freedom is, you know, them old, you know that's why they got to um, uh, take away our mythology. You know, they got to, you know, mm, I, I give yeah. you an example. This is a lot of the stuff that, you know, Dr. Frank, you know, and I talk about, you know, on um, uh, pop culture and, you know, them coming in and our, our history and our heroes and that kind of thing. DC Comics, you know, had everybody's gay. I mean, you know, Batman, Robin, Robin's got to be gay, right? You know, you do Star Trek. They had to send them the Star Trek Discovery. They pissed off the fans so much they had to send them nine hundred years into the future. Okay, you can go be whatever nine hundred years in the future. So now they got <laughs> Captain Pike. They're doing another kind of a the Enterprise reboot which was like 11 years before Kirk, which is Captain Pike, that will do the old Gene Roddenberry optimism mm-hmm. episodic, right. we're, you know, America kind of thing, right? You know, with, oh my God, a a 
strong white male gets to be captain this time. I mean, you know, when the hell would that ever happen anymore? So they sent Discovery into the future. Then they did Picard. And it was, I really liked it. It was pretty good. It's all right. Yeah, it's good. It's good. The last episode, hot Jerry Ryan, seven of nine, kind of give the implication she's gay now, you know? And I'm like, really? I mean, come on, you know? So anyway, we'll see how For that some works. reason, this reminds me of that Team America, you know, remember that puppet yeah. movie from Team the South America. Park guys? Everyone has AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's so many of these. Well, what happened is um, as we're going through the culture thing, DC Comics, you can see I'm wondering what they don't have imagination. Every superhero move, every big blockbuster has to be some comic strip from the 30s, 40s, 50s. I go that they, they don't have any imagination. You know, freaking smoke a doobie or something, man. Come yeah. up with something. I mean, yeah, yeah, what yeah. the hell? There, there. No, th- this is an in- industry economic thing because I've I, I I know it's cliche at this point to point it out, but yes, every single major franchise of the last couple of decades has just been an endless sequence of reboots or okay. sequels. I'm and there's there's, there's very, very few original ideas being forwarded these days. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm, not because something fundamental has changed in human nature and people can't come up with ideas. It's because the way the movie industry specifically has been structured over the past couple of decades around these tentpole I'm gonna you make know, summer blockbusters. Claim. I'm going to make another claim. This is what I'm building up to. I am of the opinion that just like there was you know, Hercules and Zeus and Apollo and... You know, and uh, you know, whatever you know, you know all the you know Artemis, all these gods and so on, that they they needed to to kill them first. Okay, so our mythology, truth, justice, and the American way was Superman. They took the American way out in a brighter tomorrow, or you know, build back better, or whatever the hell it was. Right, so they're doing that. The DC writers and comics and illustrators and so on, they. Uh, um, we got Robin being gay, all right? And I think Catwoman, too. Then we have um, Superman was stripped of his powers somehow. They kryptonited his cell or whatever, put him in jail, and butt-raped him every day for eight months. Superman. And Batman has to go save him or some crap, right? So this, I'm going, what the hell are they doing? It's intentional. They have Absolutely. to get rid of... Of the strong, hundred percent, yes. Strong white males. I mean, all yeah. oh, these guys. Hell no, they can't have that. And then yeah. they got a rape Superman. Right. And and yeah, for anyone who doesn't understand, this is this is one of the oldest parts of human culture itself. Is the stories that we tell about the heroes narrative. that we tell to young men and women growing up. These are heroes. These are role models. These are people that you strive to be like. And these are the great things that they can accomplish. That's how we forward human society and have for thousands of years. It's part of the coming of age rights that we step through this portal into the the, adulthood by going through certain things. They are stripping all of that away from the culture. And yes, 100%, that is a, a conscious decision that's being made as part of the behavioral change techniques that they know. They know how to do this and how to start, uh, deracinating a culture as it were in order that it become this malleable well now it's build back better now it's gi joe no 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 and now it's the whatever they call it team un or (laughs) whatever it is they give you the false after they've swapped out what was the authentic sort of genuine 
um, thing that I was there. I remember the guy's name now. It was Michael New, and I think that might have been his father, but he was a guy during the Clinton administration that was homeschooled, joined the Army, goes to Kosovo. They say, take off your uh, American flag insignia, put on your UN thing, and do what this French general says. And he goes, uh, no, I'm not doing it. Oh, you have to, and your commander-in-chief said, he goes, no, I'm good. But we're going to, he goes, you do whatever you're going to do, but I ain't doing it. This was a thing for a long time, for a year or two. And um, it was the point that he joined the United States America Army, not NATO, wasn't going to take orders from f- some French general, and you can't make me try. So finally they, you know, discharged him. You know, I don't know whether he got an honorable discharge or not, but they, um, you know, they wanted to make an example of this guy. And it's this kind of individuals that don't go and sit in the back of the bus. They're not going to give up their seat. They're not going to, you know, put on a mask. They're not going to close their business. They're not going to. And it takes these heroes to do this. So they have to beat those down. They have to deplatform them. They got to bring in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, you know, into and arrest some people and see some trucks. But. This is what the problem is. I got to show this. This is good. The tow truck companies won't do it. <laughs> yeah, right. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> they go, nah, not going to do it. You know? So I just. They have COVID like Justin. <laughs> right, 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 right. We're, we're, we're great. You know? So there is so much going on. And I wanted to, um, you know, go over some of the headlines because there's. There's just so much stuff. The Pentagon, you know, one of these, uh, where is it? Um, yeah, the Pentagon fails its fourth consecutive audit. And so what? What happens? Yeah, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And everyone knows that. People can go back to what Catherine Austin Fitz has been writing about for a couple of decades now about this whole thing. They've been required under law to have a successful audit for the past two decades. Never been able to do it. Yeah, Never once. Came What's going to happen? Nothing. No, Rumsfeld came out. He goes, hey, man, we, we're looking for $2 trillion. We lost yeah. it. It was here a minute ago. Well, yeah. that that was the 2001 uh, one estimate. Um, as as I covered a couple of that? years ago, it's it's gone up to over $20 trillion of just of what we can see. But we now know that there is more that we cannot see. But so Rumsfeld who knows? Rumsfeld said it. Yeah. When did he say it? Uh, September 10th, 2001 was one of the times. That wasn't the only time, to be oh, fair. There was more? He said it in, they were talking about it in the confirmation hearings back uh, in January of 2001 because it was known about from the 2000 balance of the books that wouldn't balance, etc. And uh, he was he was uh, cornered about it, I think, by a We Are Change affiliate back in 2007 or something, at which point the number was already $8.5 trillion. And he was talking about it. And, oh, it's not missing. It's just we can't. Our records don't keep track of it very well. <laughs> we got to have us a war. All right. So war with Russia. What do you what do you think is going on there? I'm getting the impression. Of course, they want to sell this idea. And whether what do I know? But um, Putin is like, look, man, they're trying to egg me into a war. You know, but I'm not going to let them get away with a lot of the stuff that they're threatening and take over and do and NATO and they pinky swore that they weren't going to blah, blah, and they are and yada, yada, yada. So um, I think Putin's been playing it pretty smart. You know, I, I don't know what else if I was in his position that I would do than what he's doing. But what is he up against? He's not up against. 
Biden. Ernie, earth to Ernie, earth to Ernie. You are not in Putin's position because you would never claim to rule over tens of millions of people by right of some vote that took place, right? No, Putin is a disgusting, horrible statist like all the rest. And he may be good at the game that he is playing, but it is a game. And I do not. I am not team Putin. He came he came to power on the back of, remember, the apartment bombing false flags that the FSB did back in 1999 that suddenly this Putin who came out of, he, the, who's Putin? Oh, he's the guy who's going to put Russia at war with Chechnya. Yay. No, Putin is a scum like all the rest of these well, And I'm going to equate him or, or measure him differently from whom? Who, 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 who's the good leader? Who's your example? Well, hey, how about let's look at their COVID policies. And oh, look at that. They're all the same. And Russia is doing it absolutely like every other country. Yeah. So no, do not put Putin on a pedestal. Does this mean we should go oh, to wait, war wait, with Putin? Wait, wait, wait. Of Don't course say I not. put him on a pedestal. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay. <You know? laughs> to be fair, you did not say that. And I'm not. <laughs> no, no, my <laughs> But point... I am addressing the people in the independent media who would and do put Putin on a pedestal and post, oh, here's Putin singing with a boy's choir in a church. He's such a great leader. We need someone like that in the U.S. He's Total Russian propaganda nonsense. Having said that, do we need war in order to, uh, you know, we should put Russia to straight by getting Putin out of there? Of course not. No, that is the stupid two-dimensional chess game they want us playing. Having said that, and I know this is a part that gets my some of my listeners' brains into contortions that they can't get out of. Yes, there is a 3D chess game. Yes, people like Putin and other people are puppets who are allowed to have a certain amount of power to the extent that they do by the financiers who really are controlling the game. That it's does not mean that that does not mean that there will not be war. There may be war and that war will kill real people in real life including potentially you and your family. You should be concerned about that because at the point that the psychopaths who run or are puppeteering the system decide that, oh, you know, this COVID agenda thing's being derailed by the truckers or whatever they decide at the point that they make the calculation that, hey, we need something else. We need some other way of affording. Hey, I got an idea. Or they will do so. Don't don't think for a moment that just because this is a controlled game that they won't use war to their advantage. Yeah, but I'm afraid that... um... You know, the brinkmanship that has been done before, you bring it to the brink and who blinks first kind of thing. Um, I don't think the Chinese, you know, are as blinky as a lot of other adversaries. Mm. I don't think Russia's is in a hard spot. You try and take over and join NATO with Ukraine, and they got a bunch of Russian people in the Donbass up there in northern part. That ain't going to happen. You know, I don't know what they think they're playing, but that ain't going to happen. And um, China... You know, Ping, you know, th- these guys, they don't care. Yeah, we lose a few hundred million Chinese, whatever. We were looking to do that ourselves anyway. So, you know, one less thing we got to do. So these guys don't, don't care. I don't think they're as concerned about war as we are, especially when we're halfway around the other freaking side of the planet from all this crap. It's just stupid. So yeah. I'm, um, but I remember in the Middle East when, uh, China first developed the silkworm. And the silkworm is like a low-flying, high-speed cruise missile above the waves kind of thing. Well, then the phalanx came out that shot depleted uranium. You know, think they can take them out. And you send, I don't know, that thing runs out of ammo after a while. I mean, you know. But um, 
Now they got hypersonic missiles, and that's this story. Russian missile tech has made America's trillion-dollar Navy obsolete. And this is what I've been saying since for freaking 20 years. I'm going, this is they're just sitting targets to another superpower. You got missiles, and you're done. Hell, Iran's just got gunboats. I mean, we'll just take PT boats, come kick your ass. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't see this working out well. You know, they're going to mm. push it, and then there's going to be, and then of course Russia has five gazillion tanks. You know, yeah. And um, so then they're going to send out a bunch of missiles. You know, hand, you know, launch missile dragons or whatever. And then you got the Apaches, and we need new helicopters now. And we got to get new this, and look what they did. We got to have new and space based weapon of you know plasma ion cannon of Star Wars. You know. And that was the threat during the Reagan administration in the 80s was for Star Wars capability. That was the big sell. Of course, it was a bunch of BS, but it bankrupted, you know, Russia, you know, put the final nail in that coffin. So now we don't have the the credit line that we did before. We didn't have the money back then either, but we don't have the full faith and credit in America, you know, for the money. So we get even a little bit of war. And we lose a bunch of aircraft carriers or some of the submarines just disappear or some of the bombers that has already happened. You know, they drop off a bunch of stuff in Ukraine and then the plane kind of meandered a little bit into and it's gone, you know. So I'm I'm what is your one to ten? You think that there will be hostilities that may escalate in the coming decade? Nine in the coming year? Three. Um, I'm not thinking this is going to, it could, it absolutely could happen soon, but I'm not thinking this is short term. I'm thinking longer term, it is going to happen at some point Why? and I got to get going, but I'll just leave you with a couple of specific cookie crumbs that I, I think are the most worrying because as you'll remember at the end of 2021, I said the story of 2022 is going to be the cyber false flag. I hope I'm wrong about it, but I see it coming. And here's the latest on that. January 31st, our good friends at the Atlantic Council had a article up on cord cutting Russian style. Could the Kremlin sever global internet cables? Talking about the latest cybersecurity threat. And oh, they're they're threatening and they're doing war games near Ireland. They could use that as a cover to do this cord cutting. And this also from Financial Times just in the past few days. UK businesses urged to prepare for Russian state cyber attacks. Talking about, oh, the government is telling us they're they're staging. They're getting ready for something, guys. I know what they're ready for. They did a year or two ago. Russia severed themselves from the Internet to test Mm. their own intranet that they are going to be able to communicate because they're afraid that the West is going to do this kind of false flag crap. Well, well again, I mean, you know, that's whatever. kind of giving Russia the pass on this. Well, they just want to control their own citizenry. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Like every other country. So, yeah, this is, I mean, at any China rate, this the isn't thing, The great firewall of China. Yeah. So th- I think in the near term, this is probably the more worrying aspect of it. In the longer term, I do see hot war as a very real possibility. But in the meantime, cyber war is on the table. And I think we might see what that looks like so even 20, this year. Before you go. You, know, you can't go, you know, freaking scaring the crap out of the children and the horses and then running off. <laughs> you know, um, in twenty two, what do you think will be the biggest um, threat to our freedom that we're going to have? What, what what is that we should be ready readying ourselves for? 
Uh, because I'm thinking about it right now, I think some sort of cyber uh, event that will lead people towards the what's the solution? Well, we're going to have to, you know, have the Internet ID, all of that stuff. Um, but in I would say the, the midterm, short term, I'm thinking cyber event. Midterm, I'm thinking CBDC. That is coming in the next three to five years. Um, in the next 10 years, I'm thinking hot war. That's, you know, take so it for what it's worth. Thing, it's all speculation, you know, but that's where thing, the way I see it. That's done. That's not, they're not going to resurrect a big giant small pock, you know. That's always that, a possibility. That's absolutely up the sleeve. So yes, that could be it. Yeah. We got so many, this is like, you know, Jacob's, uh, you know, crisis freaking management all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah, when, exactly. So that you watch that video and get prepared for a podcast on that topic coming soon. All right, very cool. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. Thanks, man. We got Thank you, Ernie. a lot to keep us busy. Holy crap. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, stay warm. Yeah. <laughs> Peace, bro. <laughs> Bye. All right. Take care. <laughs>